Well, sitting in moments like these where we are remembering our loved ones prompts us to ponder both the fragility of every human life and the meaning and measure of our own. How do we measure our lives and how do we measure out our lives? The Broadway musical Rent poses this question in a way that's quite catchy if you sing it, though I'm not completely sure I will or not. I don't have the voice of the choir members or many of our, our teenagers, but I'll simply quote it. And it, Well, maybe if we can sing a little bit of it if you want to sing it with me. It goes like this. 525,600 minutes. How do you measure a year in a life? In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife. And then I'll pull back here. How can you measure the life of a woman or a man in truths that she learned or in times that she cried, in bridges he burned or in the way that she died? The song goes on and on like this, reminding us again and again that how we measure our life or even asks us to consider how we measure our life as it challenges us to measure all lives with love. How about love, the song asks. How about we remember the love, the seasons of love? And I love this, especially today when the remembered lives of our loved ones ought to prompt us to consider not just their living, but ours, and how we measure it as we're living it. How do we measure and measure out our lives? And how should we measure our lives? And perhaps more importantly, especially in a moment of worship, and especially, especially as people who have claimed Jesus Christ as the Lord and leader of our lives, we might ask, how does God? How does God and how will God measure a life? And how that affects us, and even more, how should it affect our own living? Fortunately, Jesus tells us in many places and in many ways, but perhaps never as plainly as he does in this Sermon on the Plain, which we just heard a slice of, and we're going to now hear more snippets of as we move on, hoping that in worship it will speak to us and direct us in our living beyond this moment. So let's start, start with this snippet from the end of the passage we just heard. If you've got your Bibles open, I'm going to start at verse 38. A good measure, Jesus says, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So a good measure, there's that word again. But what does it mean here, and how might it affect the way we live our lives? Well, in context, this is a marketplace image. And while it might be plain to them in meaning, it might not be so plain to us, because most of us, when we think of marketplaces, we're conjuring up images like Hy-Vee or Price Chopper or Aldi or places like that. And in those marketplaces, most of the food we buy is measured by weight. So you go into these markets and you buy a bag of tomatoes, and when you buy a bag of tomatoes, you're going to pay for exactly the weight of what you pick up, because you're going to put it in the bag, 
and then you're going to you know, close the bag and then they're going to measure it and weigh that bag and the marketplace is going to charge you exactly the weight of that bag, which seems fair, right? But what often doesn't seem so fair is what you get when you buy a box of cereal or even a bag of potato chips. Because how many people of you, how many of you have bought a box of cereal only to open it up and find space, right? Right there at the top of the box. Or how many of you bought a bag of potato chips to think you're getting a, a crammed packed full bag and you open it up and it's half filled with air? This has to be some sort of marketing scheme. Because they've got a weight on the bag, right? So you're probably getting what you paid for. The weight's probably right, but you thought when you picked up the bag you were getting a lot more. You thought you were getting a full bag of chips. And this is disappointing. Especially, if you remember last week, because if you are what you eat most seasons of the year, I am pretty much a full bag of chips. But regardless... None of this really represents the kind of marketplace pricing that Jesus is referencing here. So try to do this. Try to imagine that you're in downtown Kansas City at a market, or even better, that you're in another country like France at an open-air market, and you've gone there to get some beans because sometimes you just need some beans. They're good for your heart, I hear. And when you find the beans and you go to pay for the beans, you notice that they don't have a scale. They don't have a scale, and because they don't, they don't charge you by the weight they charge you by the container. So you take the container and you hold it out for your beans and the salesperson then says, well, she'll hold the container because what you're going to need to do is pull your shirt out and hold it below the container to catch anything that might spill over. And so they, they take their vat of dried beans and they begin to pour them into your container every now and then stop, stopping to press the beans down to make sure that there's no air in there taking up any space. And they keep full pouring until the container is full and actually even beyond that so it begins to run over and fall into the little place you've created with your shirt. And you wonder, am I going to have to give these back? But the shop owner just says, will that be all? And they charge you for the container and everything you're taking with you. And Jesus is saying, this is the kind of measuring system God prefers. And this is the kind of measuring system God wants us to prefer. Because this is the system God wants to use with us. But, Jesus says, and this is the uncomfortable twist that we often miss or ignore. I mean, it's the uncomfortable twist that I often want to miss or ignore and wouldn't want to include in a space like this. But Jesus says, God will measure out what we get from God with the same measure we choose to use in our lives toward others. Now, that, that's scary, I think. And I hope, as Jesus is prone to do, He's using exaggeration here, just as I hope he's using exaggeration in the Lord's Prayer when he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us in the same way. I'd like to believe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But Jesus says here that if, if we want to measure our lives with weights and scales with an exactness that says, I'll get mine and you'll get yours and then we'll be even or I might even be ahead, then God will work with us in that system. 
It's not what God wants, but God will. No, God wants to measure God's grace into our lives like I like to measure soda in places like Cody's. You get the 32-ounce cup, you go over to the machine, you get to pour it yourself. Don't put ice in there. Why would you put ice in there? It's going to come out cold anyway. You, you fill the whole thing up and, and it did, when you stop at various points so it can foam up and then foam back down and you get everything and then you, you keep doing it until even some of it spills over. You fill it to the brim. Air on the side of spilling. And Jesus is saying that's how God prefers to relate to us. And Jesus is saying that's how God wants us to relate to others. So exactly what might that look like? Well, fortunately... Jesus tells us. This comes not too far into Jesus' sermon on the plain as an illustration for the kind of lives we ought to be living and the principles Jesus says in the sermon that we ought to be living by. So all we have to do, if we want to know what he meant by a good measure, shaking and all that stuff, is look back a few lines at the beginning of the sermon and as we do, listen closely. Listen closely. And if we do, and if we're honest, most of us are going to have to acknowledge that the kind of life Jesus wants us to live is terrifyingly difficult. And yet it's also exactly the kind of life we're supposed to be trying to live if, in fact, Jesus has been claimed by us as Lord. So here goes. Verse 37, verse 27. Jesus says, but I say to you that, listen, and I'm going to go ahead and stop there because Jesus often does this. He makes this distinction between those who are listening and those who aren't listening. Between those who have ears to hear and those who don't. See, some of us have shut down our ears toward Jesus. Some of us shut down our ears toward Jesus a long time ago. We're not listening. We're numb to it. We don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. Some of us aren't listening and some of us are. Are you listening? Are you listening? Thinking about the Chiefs game? Are you listening? <laughs> to those who are listening, Jesus says, love your enemies. I wonder if he's serious about that. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there's the context for the golden rule. Jesus' teachings are scandalous because they take our conventional wisdom and instincts and turn them flip upside down. So that he says, if someone needs something from you, give them more. And if someone happens to be your enemy, can you think about somebody that might feel like an enemy right now? If someone happens to be your enemy, someone irritates you, someone gets under your skin for good reason or for bad, and guys, this is really difficult. Jesus says, give them more than they need. Jesus says, love them. And then he says, and if the, in, in the midst of loving them, they're harsh with you in response to your love, don't retaliate. 
And if, if, if they need something that you have, Jesus says, give them that and something more, even and especially when it doesn't make sense. Jesus. Jesus says we are called to live recklessly gracious and sacrificial lives. How about love, he asks. Why don't we measure our lives and live our lives with love? He says that's how we should interact with others because that's how God chooses to interact and prefers to interact with us. After all, Jesus says, we keep going, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, Jesus says again. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For God is kind. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. So be merciful, Jesus says, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. See, some Christians and Christian leaders, pastors and churches, like to lead in their discipleship by telling people what they should abstain from, what they shouldn't do. We're supposed to be different as Christians and people should be able to see that we're different. And so you shouldn't dance or drink or chew or go with those who do. That's what they used to say back in East Texas. They'll know you're Christians by what you abstain from. They'll know you're Christians by your rules, by your rules. Isn't that how the song goes? Yet in so many ways it would be a lot easier if that was how it went. If that was what Jesus wanted instead of actually what he says here. Love your enemies. Give to those in need even if we don't like them. And don't expect anything in return. Make sure others are comfortable before you're comfortable. Make sure others are fed before you are full. Be gracious and forgiving even when grace and forgiveness doesn't make sense. Do not judge and you will not be judged. I'm quoting Jesus here. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you, says Jesus. Err on the side of generosity. Err on the side of grace. If someone needs something from you, whether they be your friend or your enemy, a brother and sister in Christ, your church, people who are hurting across the street or across the globe, then give. Err on the side of sacrifice and generosity and hospitality and forgiveness. Err on the side of letting go and putting yourself out there. Err on the side of pushing yourself beyond your limits so that others might experience God's limitless love. Now we like it, but it doesn't make sense, does it? To the world. And most of the time, it really doesn't make sense to me. But when Jesus called us and we responded by choosing to follow, when we were asked for our confession of faith and we proudly proclaimed Jesus is Lord, that is what we were supposed to have meant. We are supposed to build our lives on Christ and Christ alone. 
We are supposed to measure the success of our lives by the standard of Christ and Christ alone. Because in the end, it's Jesus and his radically generous, reckless, sacrificial love and mercy that we're going to want to be measured with and by. For so many reasons, not the least of which the one he proclaims and promises here. So once again, for those in the back, Jesus says to those who are listening, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you for a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. God wants us to measure out grace to others in our lives in the same way God measures out grace to us 525,600 minutes each and every year of our lives with love. How about love? How about we measure this life and how we measure it out? with others, with God's love. We consider that as we continue to worship.